welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Good morning, everyone. Hi. Uh, let's see. If, you, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm a, I'm a first servicer from that foreign land of the 9 o'clock, so if you haven't seen me, it's because I'm usually there. Um, yeah, my name's Jeff. I spell it... Uh, I usually say strangely, but maybe memorably is the I spell it with a G, G-E-O-F-F, the most unphonetic pronunciation of the name Jeff possible. Um, and for, for years, I have been a missionary sent out by Hillcrest to the university at the top of the hill. I've been a campus pastor working with great people like Shannon and David. David discipled me as an intern, um, working with Brady for a long time. It's just been a wonderful place for me to, to serve and minister and grow, um, Hillcrest has been my family for a little while. I actually got married right here. Let's see. David, were we on this part? Or are we up? I forget where we were, but it was around here, this area, this region of the front. I got married here. My kids are down in Treasureland on a regular basis at the 9 o'clock. Uh, this is very much home. We're in a small group here. We love our small group. They're such important people in our lives to do life with. Uh, this Hillcrest really is home. And so it's not just a privilege to be uh, at Hillcrest, but it's also a privilege for me to be able to bring the word this morning. So thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, if you were here last week, uh, Tim explained that uh, for the summer, we're going through a series called Stories of the Kingdom, where we get to look through some of Jesus's parables, uh, as well as taking a look at some of our stories, stories among us of God's kingdom coming in and around and through our lives, um, which I think is pretty cool. Um, when it comes to parables, the parables of Jesus are like micro-stories uh, or, or brief illustrations that are told for the motivated listener. It takes some investment to really have these parables click for us. Uh, they require attention. They, require, they take a second look or a second think. Um, parables take kind of like an initial, like you hear the parable first and you go, huh, and then, later on, when you're thinking about it again, or it's, the ideas come back to you later in the day, you go, oh, ha, 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 I see what he was getting at. It kind of dawns on you later. That's kind of how parables are supposed to work. That's what they're for. They're like puzzles. And last week, Tim had, uh, in the first service, there was a, what was his name, Tim? Brad, Brandon, Brian, name of the B. Anyway, he was very tall, and he was doing the puzzles. And he did a really good job. He completed it in, like, record time. It was pretty cool. Um, but the idea is that parables take some time working to work them out. They take some time and some thought and some reflection to think about, why does this matter? Why is this so important for me to hear? And what is going to jump out at me after I think about it for a little while? So the, uh, the parables we're going to look at this morning come from Matthew's Gospel, first book in the New Testament, if you're looking at your table of contents. And it comes from Matthew chapter 33, um, starting in verse 31. And it's just a couple of verses. So I'll read them for us. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. So these two parables are, are clear, they clearly work together. 
They're, they're team parables. Some, uh, some New Testament scholars call them twin parables because uh, they teach complementary truths. They teach different facets of the same idea when it comes to talking about Jesus' kingdom. He said, talks about the kingdom is, is like a man who does this with the seed, and the kingdom is like a woman who does this with yeast. And he uses elements in this story, in these, in these parables, that his audience would have been super familiar with. These were common, everyday items that Jesus' first listeners would have totally understood, totally would have clicked with them. Uh, mustard seeds, for example, were very common in first century Palestinian herb gardens. Um, and Jesus, whenever Jesus is speaking in parables, he, he's not speaking precisely. So he's not being herbologically exact when he says, the smallest of all seeds. He's very aware that there are actually a, two or three seeds that if you could measure them diametrically, they would be a little bit smaller than the mustard seed. He's just trying to make a point. Uh, the point that he's trying to make is they're really small. Mustard seeds are tiny. I think I've got a picture. Yeah, see that on the tip of that guy's finger? That is one mustard seed. Actually, I don't know if that's a guy. Maybe a girl's finger. I don't know. Tip of that, that finger is a mustard seed. And it really does grow into a huge, large garden plant. And in some places, with enough water in that area, uh, they can even grow into trees. And there's a picture of that, that, that mustard seed grow. I don't know, that mustard seed. A mustard seed growing into that tree. Yeah, that would have been amazing. 30 years later, look at that, what happened to that seed. It actually happened. Um, and that tiny seed can become that kind of a tree for a whole bunch of birds to nest in its branches. Now, whenever you read the Bible, you have to ask, why that specifically? You should always ask that question. Why did he say it that way? Why would Jesus describe the mustard, mustard tree's size like that? He could have described it in a hundred ways. Think of all the different ways he could have said the mustard tree gets really big. He could have said the mustard tree grows twice as tall as a man. Or he could have said the mustard tree grows large enough that its wood could be used to build a small shed or something. He could have said many different things to describe the size that the seed grows into when it becomes a tree, right? Why go with birds? Why explain the size of the tree with that imagery? It's really important to ask the Bible that, that sometimes because I think... If we don't, we're assuming some, uh, sometimes I think we think that Jesus is just kind of off the cuff, uh, sort of offhandedly giving these illustrations. We don't take him seriously as a sophisticated teacher. I think I I thought that when I was learning how to read the Bible. Or sometimes we think that the writers of Scripture, for example, aren't very sophisticated. And so when we get a a gospel account, like Matthew's gospel, the the image is just kind of like we grabbed everything we could find, stuck it together, and okay, this is, these are all things Jesus said and taught. Uh, stack, 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 oh, a little wrinkled page over there, stuff it in the middle. Matthew's gospel. The, the gospel writers are far more sophisticated than that. Or, or, or worse, sometimes I think that we, were, that we think that the, the writers of Scripture were magically hypnotized until they were done writing that section of the Bible. Like they were just writing a letter, all of a sudden, boom. Oh, look, it's the book of Philippians. Hey, we're done. Put that in the mail. And that's way weirder. Because it makes the Bible a product of some kind of trance that has more in common with a drug trip than an actual encounter and, and guidance by God, right? That's not how God does stuff. No, the writers of Scripture are far more sophisticated than that. Matthew has a reason that he's telling, he's writing, that he's, he's recording this story for his historical audience. And God inspired that reason. And Jesus has a reason for why he mentions birds nesting in the branches of the mustard tree as a way of describing the growth of his kingdom. Jesus does this on purpose. 
See, back in the Old Testament, in the cultural sort of history of Jesus' people, the prophet Ezekiel, in in Ezekiel chapter 31, he speaks of the kingdom of Pharaoh, who is the king of Egypt, as a tree growing very tall. And Ezekiel writes this. He says, all the birds of the heavens nested in its boughs. And the prophet Daniel writes in Daniel chapter 4 that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has a dream of a tree that grew very large and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches. So Jesus, in in describing the mustard tree this way, Jesus is setting off all kinds of bells and whistles in his contemporary hearers' mindsets. He's drawing on images of massive, sweeping, expansive, successful kingdoms that they're already familiar with that they've seen the impact of, which are described as large trees big enough to welcome all kinds of birds. Jesus is saying, my kingdom will get as large, as global, and as far-reaching as the kingdoms of Egypt or Babylon, which at their prime were both the superpowers of the ancient world. So, the question remaining is, where's the puzzle? What's, what's, left, what's, what's, what's the bit that, that would have, the aha moment that comes later for Jesus' listeners? That moment comes from the very beginning of the thing that Jesus says. This massive, far-reaching kingdom of Jesus comes from something that looks like you could flick it off the end of your finger. Put up that picture. That, yeah, that one again. Look at that. That's so little. Now remember who Jesus is speaking to when he says this. He's speaking to Israel, who lives under the boot of Rome, which was their contemporary superpower. And remember, think about, too, who Matthew is writing to. Who is Matthew compiling his gospel for? Matthew's gospel probably made the rounds in the Christian community somewhere between 80 and 90 A.D., which means that Matthew is not writing to a Christianized culture. No, Christianity at this point is still a largely misunderstood backwoods Jewish sect that's starting to convert Gentiles, non-Jews, around the world. But it looks to most of the ancient world like a bunch of kooks who think a crucified man is still alive and running their little revolution. Sounds crazy. What Jesus is saying to Israel And what Matthew wants his young Christian brothers and sisters to hear is that, look, I know we look small right now. I know it looks dinky and insignificant. But you just wait. Small and insignificant is how my kingdom starts. And it will grow to be the biggest plant in the garden. And if you think about that, take seriously what's happening around the world right now. Not even 2,000 years later, we see Jesus' words coming true. Think of how the kingdom of Jesus has already spread. Millions of people have already come to nest in the branches of Jesus' kingdom tree. When Jesus first spoke his parable, he probably had less than 100 followers. And today... People on every single continent on earth call Jesus the king of their lives and follow him faithfully. Everywhere, that tiny, thumb-flickable seed 
is growing into a tree that spreads its branches to welcome birds everywhere. So, that's the mustard seed. In the next parable, from from this tiny and insignificant seed, Jesus pivots to the hidden yeast. That word in Greek for mixing the yeast into the dough is actually the word hidden. She's hiding the, the yeast in the dough as a descriptor for what the woman making the bread actually does. Most bread uh, in the ancient world in the first century Palestine wasn't made completely from scratch. Uh, usually a woman would make a batch of, of dough in her home and she would use a, a leftover scrap of a previous batch of dough which had yeast in it already and, and that would be the yeast for the new batch. So the woman would mix or hide the old dough in the new dough to help it rise. And you've all seen what, what yeast does to dough, yeah? I've got a picture of that too, yep, in the bowl. On the one side is, the, is the, the ball of dough before it gets any yeast, and on the bigger inflated side, that's what happens when the, to, to, to that particular batch of dough when you throw yeast in there. It makes yeast, hide yeast in there. That process of dough rising to become something bakeable like bread, I find that so cool. I'm going to recommend a Netflix miniseries to you. I don't usually do this from the podium, but this one's great. Um, it's called Cooked. Has anybody seen this documentary series yet? Yes! Ah, more people than, than last service. Last service, one, one person in my small group, because I think I told them about it too. They were like, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a documentary series about the history of human cooking. It's fabulous. You should go check it out. It's so interesting. But each of the four episodes talks about a different way of cooking and, and the history of how humans started cooking that way. And there's one episode that centers on how bread is made, since really it's one of the, one of the most basic uh, food, human foods around the world, right? Very common to the human experience. And the change, the, the transformation that dough undergoes when you hide yeast in it is so cool. The yeast changes the dough from kind of a, a lifeless lump into a, into a seething, swelling, bubbling, heaving mass, right? I mean, that's what it would look like if you had a camera in front of it and then just ran it on fast forward. It's happening slowly, but that's what's going on. It just takes time. It's, it's like it comes alive, right? Slowly growing, expanding, inflating, and transforming into something that can feed 100 people, which is probably about how many people uh, the, that, that amount of dough in Jesus' parable would have fed. That's what the kingdom of God is like, Jesus says. You may not even know the influence his kingdom is having on us, but it's there. It's hidden in the dough. Every time you've ever gone to the hospital, whether you know it or not, you are benefiting from the yeast of Jesus' kingdom which offers a worldview that says bodies matter and life is worth preserving. Every time anyone gets an education, whether he or she knows it or not, they are benefiting from the yeast of Jesus' kingdom, which says learning about the created world is not only possible, but commanded by God as part of our role in taking care of it and of each other. Even the scientific method that has led to so many technological marvels of our day, was born out of the yeast of the kingdom of Jesus. That says that his world, this world that's been made, is reliably studyable and endlessly explorable. Even our Western cultural values of human rights, 
are grounded in the Judeo-Christian anthropology of what a human being is and what we're worth and why. And many people don't even know it. There's this secret uh, backdoor underground transformation that's happening all over the world because of the yeast of the kingdom that's hiding in plain sight. The kingdom of God starts small, like a mustard seed, and it can be easy to lose in the big picture. And it's, it starts hidden, and sometimes it can be hard to identify exactly where it is. But it's growing, and it's transforming things. One of my favorite things about this series of, of the stories of the kingdom that we're, that we're doing is that we get to hear some of our stories. Stories of the kingdom of Jesus among us. Not just way back then, but right now. And so I have a friend who I'm going to invite and interview up. Monk Ting, come on up. This is my friend from Taiwan. He's a student in our ministry. And this year, he decided to be a Jesus follower. Here you go, brother. So I've got some questions for him that are going to help him share his story with us a little bit. We did this last service. You ready? Yeah. Okay, we were both a little bit nervous to preach, to speak at Hillcrest, so we said we would strengthen each other. Yeah. You strong? Yeah. Okay, ready. Good. Good, good. I think so. Okay, so thank you so much for helping me with this. This is great. Uh, in your story, when we were talking about it, you said you had another Christian friend. I shouldn't say another. You had a Christian friend in Taiwan. Um, and tell us about what your friendship, what it was about your friendship that first made you a little bit interested in Christianity. Uh, if I want to talk about this friendship, I was started like I start to know my Christian friend named Brian when I was like eight years old, I think elementary school, and I start to go to the school band and I met him, and we don't really talk a lot at that time, but we still have to have the same content when I when when I still studying high school like. We have we studied in the same elementary school. We studied in the same junior high school. We studied in the same high school. And in high school, we are even in the same class. So we say, hey, hey, friend, hey, we know a lot, we know a long time. But oh, it's my first time to have the same class with you. And so we start to become a really, really good friend. Like we know each other for a long time, and we talk a lot. Like every time we study, sometimes together. But like sometimes, like before the big exam, like finals or midterm, we study together, and I just talk to him. Oh, that's too much. It's too many subjects to read, and it's too much test book to read. And he just said, don't worry, bro, I will pray for you. Just a little tiny sentence he say, I will pray for you. I, I just think, mm, okay, I guess. <laughs> and like for me, in my, <coughs> in my background, and I went to a Christian kindergarten. Like for me, pray is like, before you eat something, you have to say a weird sentence like, oh, thanks, Lord, blah, 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 blah. I, I don't really understand what it means. Like, <laughs> I still remember the sentence, but I don't really know what it means. But, like, okay, you pray for me, thanks. And so, like, after, like, two years later, I start to make jokes, like, hey, can you pray for me? I don't really know what's praying, but it sounds really, it sounds works, so can you pray for me? And he start to... I start to talk talk to him with, like, I, I have some troubles in my life. I have some struggling in my life. I just start to say, can you pray for me? And he said, yeah, I will always pray for you. That's cool. Yeah. And so then he told you he would pray for you right before you came to the U.S. to study because you're an international yeah. student. 
Um, and then you said, when we talked about it, you said your first two weeks in the U.S. were terrible. Oh. They were just so bad. That's so bad. Tell us why. <laughs> like, I started to have English class when I was, I think, elementary school, but we don't really talk English to people. Like, they just taught us, hey, memorize this 10 vocabulary, and we will test tomorrow. I just, oh, okay, and I rewrite 10 times. I don't really have a chance to stay, to speak a lot of English. Like, when I first came here, I'm really excited because of the new environment, new people, American. I never met any American. Like, in my mind, I think American is like, Yellow hair, uh, blue eyes. Wow, cool. I met, oh, wait, hey, American in my mind. Yeah. It's very, very exciting. But, like, I went to school in Western and I went to an IEP program and I started to have some classmates, but they are all Asian or European. That's, oh, what? And they already know each other, like, a few months, like a quarter. So they just hang out together and I don't really talk to them that much, like, we don't really hang out together, so I don't have any friends, and I just, like, every day, I have class, Monday to Friday, like, after the class, I just say, oh, hi, hey, bye, see you tomorrow, and I just went to rec center, and just put the headphone on, I just, oh, I don't have friends, and don't talk to me, American, <laughs> I don't know how to speak English, no, don't talk to me, <laughs> and really, really nervous, and I just very, feel very tired, and very bad, because I don't, yeah. like, I really miss my family, like, yeah, yeah. the first two weeks. I still and, miss and my family now, but, yeah, the first two weeks, is, I really miss And awful. lonely was the word that you used when you talked in your story. You yeah. felt lonely? Yeah. So, no, week three, good. everything changed because someone invited you to go somewhere. Yeah. Tell us about that. So, like, when I went to the IEP program, I start. I think my first American friend, Margaret, can you just maybe Where's Margaret? There she is. Hello, yeah. Margaret. She's here. And I think she's my first American friend. I said, oh, yeah, yellow hair, blue eyes. No, oh, American. Yeah, American. A typical American. Yeah. <laughs> I love a friend. But we have a chance to talk something like about my story because he, she worked in the IEP program, so we talk, talk something. And like in the third week, she just met, hey, Mountain, we are planning to go to Trimpling Zone. We would like to go with us. And, but in my mind, I don't, I don't really know what's Trimpling and what's Zone mean. Like these two words. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, what's that? I, I don't. I don't know. They say, "Oh, it's the place you can jump high and play something." Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, mm, I don't have things to do. I don't have friends. Just yeah, just go with them. <laughs> but like in my mind, it's really exciting. Yeah, have friends. Yeah, American. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> in my mind, I, I just think maybe as a group of American, and I can make them. I can just make friends with them, and yeah, have friends. So yeah. So you went to trampoline zone. Jumped everywhere with your new friends, yeah. <laughs> and then and then uh, they invited you to come to our what we call our, our, our sort of small group spiritual discussion groups up on Western's campus. We call them cores, and they invited you to come to core. And in one of the early cores, uh, what, what the what the facilitators do is they ask people to share kind of their background with religion or their the, what their experience of is with Christianity. Yeah. And one of the things Michael said to you uh, when he asked you to share made you feel really comfortable about yeah. talking about it. Like when I first came to the core. I know the people, because the Hugo, uh, he's already young, he went to the first service, yeah. and he invited me to go to Corn. I just think, because he didn't tell me it's about like Bible study, he just said, oh, we will play some game, we will have some cookie cake, and you can just hang out with us. I said, cool, yeah, yeah, let's, let's go. <laughs> when I got there, and he said, oh, we have a little 
activity we call Bible study. We, we study Bible. And yeah, I know Bible, the book. Yeah, uh, I don't know what, yeah. But they just told me to sh- they read the Bible and they ask me the question. They just say, can you share about your opinion about this verse? I just, I'm pretty nervous because I don't really know how to speak English well. And I just, I'm kind of nervous. Please, uh, I don't really know. And Michael just told me, uh, we are a very passionate person. We can just take your time. Just sing whatever you want. Just You can take one hour to think about what you want to tell and just talk to us. And another two our co-facilitator. Yeah, nicely done. Uh, thanks. There you go. <laughs> they say just. I don't say it right all the time. <laughs> like David and Hugo, and Hugo is from Hong Kong, and David is half Chinese, I think, and they can speak a little bit Chinese, and I speak Chinese, so they just say, uh, if you want, you can just say Chinese to us. Use your own language. Use the most familiar language you use to talk to them. That they can help me to translate in whatever I want to say. It made me feel very, very confident in the core. Oh, that's Bring great. It. That's great. And so then um, you started meeting with Hugo, who is one of your yeah. core leaders. Like you said, he's from Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, he speaks Chinese as well. And you said that you had a really important conversation with him that helped you really solidify, I, I am now a Christian. Well, tell us about that conversation. Uh, before we went to one-on-one, and like the, before that time, the less core of core facilitator <laughs> told us to share about why you think you are a Christian. And at the time, I don't really uh, told, uh, I, in my mind, I just already think, mm, I want to follow Jesus. I think I am Christian because I think Lord leads us to, to success. And so, I just, but I'm kind of afraid to talk people why I'm a Christian. I think maybe people will laugh and say, no, you're not. Haha, you are not. <laughs> you are from Taiwan. No, no, you're not. Mm. And, but in the core, because I already know them like a quarter, so we are really good friends. We hang out together. So at the, in the core, we just say, I just told them, I think I am Christian because I know everything is God tried to let me into his kingdom to make me feel very confident in America. So mm-hmm. I just told them my story. And after the call, Hugo just told me, uh, no, I don't, I don't know that. You, know, you didn't tell us. Maybe we should go one-on-one and I can tell you more about this. And we went to one-on-one and he explained me about like what happened first and the sudden, something like that. And he said, like, Jesus died for us to forgive our sin. And he just asked me, after you know this background, you still think you are a Christian? I said, yeah, of course. I think I, I still a Christian. I, I will believe you. Like, believe all the things. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, and then at the end of this, at the end of this school year, uh, we do in our in our ministry we do um, these baptisms in the spring. It's a chance for people who make a decision like Hugo made to actually participate in that Christian symbol of baptism. And so you called your friend uh, back in Taiwan yeah. and wanted to tell him about this. Well, t- two phone calls really. Tell yeah. us about those two phone calls. I called my friend twice, and like the first call, phone call is after I. Talk with Hugo. I say I become a Christian. I talk, I just call my friend and say, and like I just talk to him like, how are you doing? Like how about your university life? Oh, and, and, about- and tell them like you say when you introduced the phone call. You said I have something very important to tell you. Both times, <laughs> like the first times when I say, hey, I, Brian, I have really really important things I want to tell you. He said, you got a g- girlfriend? Uh, no, not yet, <laughs> not yet, not this one, but another one is also important. <laughs> So, but not. <laughs> I just told him I become a Christian. He said, "Really, bro? I know. I, I, but I'm really glad you said this. But 
I already know you will become Christians. Really? And he just, we just pray together and we just say, oh, let's, do, let's ask them. And I know if something happens, you will become Christian. And I already pray for you every day and I will keep praying for you. And the second phone call is like, before I got baptized, I, like, I think June 2nd? Mm-hmm. I got baptized like June 3rd. And the June 2nd, I called my friend again. He said, I have really important things to tell you. And, and he said, oh, you got a girlfriend. Oh, no, no, not yet. <laughs> later, <laughs> I just told him, yeah, I make a big decision. I will get baptized tomorrow. He said, congratulations, bro. And I just, it's really encouraging him a lot because in his university life, he just, because like, I think, I don't know for everyone, but in Taiwan, I don't know. Like the freshmen, is very they have to study a lot, like a lot of things, like different things, not just only his major, like a lot of things, like English, like history. They have to study a lot. He, he feels like stressful, same as me. So he just say, like the things I talk him, like I become Christian, I uh, will get baptized. It's really encouraging him because he think he still have the skill. Yeah, skill. skill to influence people, to invite people to Jesus' kingdom. He said he born in the Christian family, but these things is really encouraging him a lot. Yeah. So he just cry with cry, and I just asked him, uh, before I get baptized, I still have one thing I want to tell you. Can you please do? Can you please pray for me again? Like tomorrow is the biggest uh, day in my life. Can you just pray for me again? And I know you are already pray for me every day, maybe every day, and a lot and uh, for a long time. But I never heard about you pray for me. Like maybe you pray in your house, maybe you pray in your own. You pray for me, but I never heard it. So can you pray for me in the phone call, and we can pray together? And he just said, "Of course, I will pray for you." And it's my just first time to hear they pray, and he, we pray for a long time, and we cry together. It's really amazing. So great. Thanks, Wang Ting. Thanks, Larry. Good job. Good job. That's great. Praise the Lord. Praise God, eh? Thanks, Mong Ting. I appreciate that. Mong Ting's story is now a mustard tree. He's ready to tell everybody. Mong Ting's life is a huge, swollen lump of yeasted dough, ready to feed 100 people. But did you notice how it started? His high school friend said awkwardly, I'll pray for you, without explaining what that even meant. And Mongtin didn't even need to understand. I love it that his story of, of being invited into, into Jesus' kingdom includes an invite to trampoline zone. I am so excited to hear how many people's testimonies include trampoline zone and how they met Jesus. It was friends being patient with someone learning the language. Saying, hey, share it, share it in your own way. Where are you at so far with this? Having one-on-ones. You might have heard him use that language. That's just one person meeting with another one person. It's a one-on-one. It's life-on-life relationship. Asking good questions. And a couple long-distance phone calls. This is the kingdom, my friends. Mong Ting, I said this to the first service too, but I'll say it. I want you to hear it again. I hope and pray that all of Taiwan will become a tree for all the birds to nest in and a loaf of bread for the hungry because you are now a seed and a pinch of yeast. 
I wonder what the rest of us feel like this morning. I wonder if you, you worry that your small efforts for Jesus just aren't cutting it. I wonder if you look at the culture around you or your family or your children or friends you've been praying for for years and it just seems like nothing's ever going to change. Or I wonder if you might not identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, but hearing what he has to say in these parables sure sounds sweet. Could those little truths be my truth? True for me. You better believe it. This kingdom is for everybody. And it leaks into our world in small and hidden ways. The kingdom comes with a cup of cold water, a visit in prison, a coat for a cold person, one bold, risky conversation, or a dozen small, not risky ones. One invitation to dinner, one cup of coffee that you pay for, or small, hidden prayers. The little things that you are doing, Jesus says, they matter. Because they grow into giant trees and they transform the entire loaf. The kingdom of Jesus doesn't come with empire. It doesn't come with a victory march. It doesn't come with armies, revolutions, elections, or hostile takeovers. Huge headlines. It comes tiny. And it starts before we can even see it. And one day, the kingdom of Jesus will be the last kingdom standing. And Jesus will be the final glorious king. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, we want to pray to that end. We want to we pray that that is exactly what would happen. I thank you, Jesus, that you mean what you say. I pray, Lord, for encouragement everybody in this room, that they would hear you saying, hey, those small seeds you're flicking out throughout your day, those small pinches of yeast that you just don't see the, the, the transformative power of. I have said my kingdom grows into a tree. I have said my kingdom expands and transforms the, ye- the, the dough that you put that yeast into. Lord, I, I, I pray for the individuals that came to mind this morning as I was talking whether it's a son or daughter or a parent or a cousin or a workmate or a spouse or a neighbor, someone we're in relationship with that we think, ah, this has been so long, it's been so hard, I see no fruit. Lord, I pray that you would tell them this story. You might not even be able to see the transformation that's happening, but it's happening. And it may look small, your efforts may look small and insignificant now, but my kingdom grows into a tree. And I welcome all comers into that kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts the way, Jesus, that your audience was stirred when they first heard that and the way that Matthew's audience was stirred when they were reminded that you said that by Matthew. Lord, we thank you. We love you. In your your sweet, sweet name. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.